You're listening to The Trinity Podcast. We are a multi-site church in the Chicago area whose mission is to help people look, live, and love more like Jesus. There are certain places that polite religious individuals don't go and people that they don't hang out with, or at least that's what Jesus' disciples thought, until the day when Jesus got, quote-unquote, lost in the wrong part of town. Traveling through Samaria, Jesus does nothing incredible. He reveals himself for the very first time to someone everyone else had overlooked, a religious and social outsider who was nevertheless loved deeply by God. Join this week's teaching pastor, Nick Price, in John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42, as we explore this strange encounter with Jesus. In 2010, I was serving with a college ministry called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And every year we would get students from the Chicagoland area together for a conference that we called Winterfest. Now, Winterfest allowed students to sign up for a whole bunch of different tracks. So for example, if they wanted to learn about Christian leadership, they could sign up for a leadership track. Or if they wanted to dive deep into a book of the Bible, they could sign up for that track. Or if they wanted to learn how to share their faith with their friends, they could sign up for the evangelism track. But there was one track in particular that I was really excited about, and it was called Finding God. And the whole idea is we would encourage students who are already a part of our ministry to invite their non-Christian friends to join them for the weekend, and they could bring all of their questions about faith to this track. And so in this particular year, I was actually leading that track. And I remember the very first night, we kind of welcomed people into the space. We talked a little bit about the journey that we were going to be on over the next couple of days. And then we broke out into small groups to hear a little bit more about each other's stories. And it was in that first small group that I met a girl named Christy. And when her term came up, Christy made it really, really clear that she was not interested in being there. She said, I used to go to church, but I'm really turned off and I, and I don't really want to go to church anymore. I'm not interested in Jesus. I really just came this weekend to hang out with my friends. And in that moment as a leader, I was like, oh no, this is just going to like ruin all of our conversations for the rest of the weekend. I mean, suddenly I found myself in a small group with a person who is openly hostile to what we were going to be talking about. Or at least that's what I thought. The reason I share this story is because in our passage for this weekend from John chapter 4, we encounter somebody that everybody else would have looked at and said, this person is definitely not open to Jesus. This person is definitely not open to the fact that he of all people would be the Messiah, would be the Savior. And yet what we find in this story is that we we find lessons about the power of curiosity, where true faith ultimately lies, and how we find deeper satisfaction. So if you've got your Bibles open, I want to invite you to join me in John chapter 4. This is what we read. It says, When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, for us as modern American people, that little geographical detail doesn't really mean a whole lot. But if you were a first century reader of John's gospel, you would know that when it says Jesus had to pass through Samaria, that that actually wasn't quite true. You see, most Jewish people, if they were traveling from Judea back to Galilee, knew that there was another road that you could take that actually went around Samaria. 
you follow the Jericho Road over to the River Jordan, and then you could just follow the River Jordan all the way up to the Sea of Galilee. So when it says Jesus had to go through Samaria, what that means is that he was going there for a purpose, for a reason. He didn't have to go there as though it was an easier or faster route. No, he had another reason behind why he decided to make this stop. There was an appointment in particular that he wanted to keep. And we learn about that appointment in the very next verses. It says that he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son, Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Right here, we meet the person that Jesus was looking for. But it would have been a particularly strange encounter. The reason why it would have been a strange encounter is because this woman, of all people, would have been the last person that any self-respecting Jewish person would have expected the Messiah to spend time with. The reason why is because there were long-standing tensions between Samaritans and Jews. In fact, it's highlighted three times in three verses that she's a Samaritan woman, a Samaritan woman, a Samaritan woman. It's, all, it's almost as though the author John wants us to be abundantly clear about who we're talking about. Here's why those tensions existed. First and foremost, the Samaritans were viewed by the Jewish people of the day as being heretics. While they had a common religious heritage, the Samaritans rejected most of the books of the Old Testament. They really only believed in the Torah, but they threw out the prophets and the writings. Likewise, they were viewed as ethnic outsiders, people who had intermingled with and married, uh, in, uh, married with the surrounding communities and cultures. And last but not least, it's important to note that in Jesus' day, women were viewed as second-class citizens. They, they didn't have the same rights or standing as men. They didn't have the same opportunities to go to religious school. And so if you were to look at this person, again, anybody else in that day would have been like, why are you talking to her? In fact, that's exactly what Jesus' own disciples see. We learn that when they come back and they actually find Jesus sitting there talking with her, they are surprised. It says they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one asked him, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? It was a shock. It was a surprise. And so the question is, what did Jesus see that his disciples didn't? They were quick to write this woman off, but Jesus saw something else. And to help us understand what it is that he saw, we really have to, to look deeper at the story and the interaction. First, it's important to note that this encounter with this woman comes on the heels of another conversation that Jesus had just had. And it was with the Jewish religious leader, Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus uh, is kind of on the opposite side of the spectrum from this woman, at least in the minds of the people of Jesus' day. I mean, First and foremost, he's a man. Secondly, he's a Jewish man. And third, he's actually a part of the Jewish religious establishment. He was a Pharisee and a teacher of the law. He was the person who embraced all of the Old Testament scriptures, who was actually looking for the Messiah and the Savior. And the Savior. He was probably the person most likely to embrace who Jesus was. And yet what we find when we look at John chapter three is that he doesn't get it. He doesn't ultimately come to see who Jesus is, at least 
not in that one encounter. And yet here now we have this Samaritan woman and what we find is Jesus engages in a much deeper conversation. It all begins from a place of curiosity, a willingness to engage her in deeper conversation. They start talking about water and, and, and as they get into talking about this physical need, it very, very quickly turns into a conversation about a spiritual need. That as she engages with Jesus and as they talk, Jesus leans in with curiosity, not with judgment, and really starts to get to know her story. And we see this come out most clearly in verse 15. Jesus tells her that there's a better water which quenches thirst in a way that physical water can't, this water of eternal life. And, and she finally in this moment says, I, I want some of that water so that I won't be thirsty or I have to come here and draw water again. And Jesus says, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you are right in saying, I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. See, not only does Jesus lean in with curiosity, but he puts his finger on her deeper spiritual thirst. This conversation about a physical need becomes a conversation about a spiritual one. And, and it's really interesting to note why Jesus brings this up. Many people hearing this woman's story continue to kind of approach it from an attitude of judgment. They're like, wow, she was married five times. What did she do wrong? Maybe there was some sort of sin here, but, but nowhere is that actually mentioned in the story at all. In fact, I'm indebted to the New Testament scholar, Karen Reeder, who says this about this encounter. She says, Jesus addresses her marital history specifically because marriage was the way women connected to their society. And it was, along with bearing children, the most important responsibility they had. Jesus is recognizing the woman's hard life. I imagine his tone was a compassionate one, as though to say, wow, lady, you've experienced real loss and pain and the struggle of adapting to life in a new household over and over again. He's recognizing her as a survivor, as someone who has enabled her family's survival too, since her family would have arranged marriages for her, and that would bring them connections or economic advantages as well. See, what we need to recognize is in this moment, Jesus is telling her, I know you, and I know your story, and I don't judge you. While we may not have all the details of her life, Jesus does. And he says, and I'm still here, talking to you. And in that moment, she responds by, by suddenly asking much deeper theological questions. What we find is she's actually very theologically astute, very spiritually curious, that though their initial encounter seems to be one of hostility, those walls very quickly come down when Jesus says, I know you, I'm not here to judge you, I'm here to talk with you about the deepest questions that you have. And the whole dynamic changes. And I saw the same thing happening in Christie's story as well. You see, as we continued to meet over the course of that weekend and, and created space for people to ask questions, suddenly we realized that there was a lot more to her story. 
that as we leaned in with curiosity, the walls started to come down and she started to give voice to her deeper questions and talk about her deeper spiritual uh, longings. And it was an opportunity to point her to Jesus. This person that we could have so easily written off, this person that we could have assumed a lot about her story suddenly became a a person with with not only rich and beautiful story, but deep questions. And she was longing to find an answer. How often do we, like Jesus' disciples, miss it and write people off without seeing the, the beautiful opportunities that are right in front of us? Because when we do, something amazing happens. I remember we got to the last night of the conference We were all gathered together in worship and we had this opportunity to hear somebody opening God's word and preaching to us. And and during that message, the, the speaker created space where people could respond to what God had been doing in their life over the course of the weekend. The speaker said, you know, if you've been feeling like Jesus has been calling you this weekend, this is your opportunity to say yes to him. And if you would like someone to pray with you, your staff workers are standing around, uh, around the auditorium and, and they would love to pray for you. And as, as music started to play and students started to stand up, suddenly I was amazed when I saw Christy jump out of her chair and she come, came running over to me and the other staff workers. And she said, I want to respond. And when I asked her what that meant, she says, look, I I still have a lot of questions and I know that there's more answers that I want to find, but I believe who Jesus says he is. I want to follow him because for me, this feels like coming home. This person who'd been longing for genuine community, who wanted to know if the God that Christians had talked to her about was real, was actually a God who loved her and wanted to walk with her. If she could come to him and what she heard over the course of that weekend is yes, that he was there now talking with her, calling her to follow him. And she said, that's the invitation that I want to respond to. And she became a disciple of Jesus. You see, when suddenly we realize that God isn't an abstract idea, but that he's actually a person, a person who loves us so much that he was willing to come into this world to rescue us, to meet with us, to to satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts, suddenly that brings immense joy and delight. And we see that in the story of the Samaritan woman as well. As she and Jesus talk about faith and he addresses some of her theological questions, she finally gets this point in which she says, I know that the Messiah is coming and when he comes, he will tell us all things. To which Jesus responds, I who speak to you am he. Now here's what's so profound about Jesus' response to her. This is something that we miss in many of our English translations. If, if we were actually to translate what Jesus says literally, the, the sentence would go a little more like this. He really is saying, I am. I, the one who am speaking to you, am he. I am. That's how he starts his sentence. It's not an awkward sentence construction. It actually had deep meaning, not just for Jews, but also for Samaritans, because the phrase I am for them was a name. It was the covenant name of God. It was the name that God revealed to Moses when he told Moses, I'm going to send you to set my people free from their slavery in Egypt. 
This is the name that you will give to them when they say, who is this God who has sent you to us? I am Yahweh. It was a personal covenant name of relationship. And when Jesus says that to her, she understands. In fact, she's so overjoyed, she leaves all of her stuff there at the well and runs back into her town and starts going up to every single person that she meets saying, come and see a man who told me everything that I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the divine one that we were waiting for? In that moment, she realized Jesus was so much more than a prophet. He was the God that she was longing to see. Then when she asked questions about where we should worship, she wasn't just blowing smoke in Jesus' direction. She genuinely wanted to know where to encounter God. And Jesus was saying, I'm here right now. And I'm here for you. And it leads to immense joy. Joy she just can't contain. Joy she goes and she shares. And what's incredible is she becomes the first evangelist to the Samaritans. But what's also amazing is this is actually the first time that Jesus has referred to himself this way in, the, in, in John's gospel. There are several other moments when he uses the divine name for himself, but this is the first time. This is the first person who's heard him claim that title for himself. This person that everybody else would have written off is the first person to hear Jesus say, I am God in your midst. I am Yahweh with you. And she goes and she tells everybody. You know, Christie's story takes a very similar turn. About a year after that conference, I had the privilege to go to DePaul University with several other staff workers. And the staff worker at DePaul said, hey, we should go to the student union. A bunch of, our, of the students in our ministry are hosting an outreach event. So we walked down there. And as we walk into the lobby, we can see the students, you know, walking around, talking with their friends, engaging them in conversation. And then from across the lobby, I hear, Nick! And I look up and I see Christy running toward me. She's like, I bet you never thought you'd see me here, huh? And I was just like, no, I didn't even know you went to this school, but I'm, I'm delighted that you're here. And she's just like, yeah. And I was like, so, so what are you doing? And she's just like, well, I, I organized this event. Turns out Christy was the leader of evangelism on her campus. That she wanted people to encounter the God who, who had encountered her one year before that she knew that she had friends who also had questions and she wanted to introduce them to the one who alone had the answers. That passion and that joy had welled up into her, in her like a spring of living water and was now pouring out as a gift of eternal life to her fellow students and to her campus. Something beautiful happens when we step into those opportunities to introduce people to Jesus and we don't write people off, but we actually lean in with curiosity and ask questions or we show them where, where true hope and satisfaction is found and ultimately give them opportunities to take a step of faith. In fact, this is exactly what Jesus tells his own disciples. That after she goes back into the town, they, they come to him and they say, hey, you know, we brought you some food. And he's like, I've got better food than that, guys. That's not why we came. We didn't come here for lunch. We came here for something else. And then this is what he says. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, don't write them off. 
This is why we're here. I have to imagine that as they looked up, what they saw was the Samaritan people coming out of their town, ready to ask questions of Jesus. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, guys, look and see what I see. And so the question for us is if, if you're a follower of Jesus is, who have you maybe written off? Who do you need to see with fresh eyes? Are there those people that you've said, there's no way they would ever be interested in Jesus? Jesus says, look again. See them with my eyes. Get to know their story. Learn what their deeper spiritual thirsts and longings are and then point them to me. Likewise, those of us who maybe aren't Christians yet, have we written off Jesus? The invitation here is like the Samaritan woman, is come and ask your questions. Take a closer look at him because what he wants you to know and understand is that he's the one in whom those longings are satisfied. He's the one who has the answers to the questions you're asking. And if you're feeling that tug and that nudge on your heart, what that means is that he's been looking for you. But just as he went down into Samaria to find that woman, so he's reaching out to you to find you and to invite you into a deeper relationship. Because when we do, we experience the life and the life-giving water that only he can give. Will you come and take a look? Will you go and ask a question? Will we together be people who come to Jesus and encounter him for, true, for who he truly is, Yahweh, God with us? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you so much thanks that even when we weren't looking for you, you came into this world to rescue us and make us your own. And Lord, forgive us for the ways in which maybe we've written off other people because we haven't taken the time to hear their story. Help us to see them with your eyes, to become curious about their lives and to point them to you as the one who satisfies our, our deepest spiritual thirsts and longings. Lord, for the ways of maybe which we've written you off, help us to see you and to bring our questions to you. And we pray that in those moments, you, God, would reveal yourself to us as God with us. Yahweh, I am. We pray all this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Mm -hmm.